time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, good to hear from you. Good morning, Tom and all. And morning, last- Henry. And last but not least, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley joins us for this week's edition. Good morning, good morning. Good to hear you guys. Morning, Wood. Hey. Hey, one thing I want to mention, we usually start out with some quotes, and and, uh, the first one being the finish the quote. But I did want to mention some somewhat breaking news. I just found out about this this morning, and I thought it was worthy of of mention. Alma Stallworth, a longtime state house representative from Detroit who founded the Michigan Legislative Black Caucus Foundation, died yesterday at age oh. 87. She was a trailblazer who was the longtime chair of the House Public Utilities Committee in the days before Michigan term limits. Stallworth played a key role in creating legislation that regulates and deregulates electric and telephone companies and other 
utilities in Michigan. And her two sons, Thomas and Keith, also served in the Michigan legislature. I thought maybe Wood might want to say a word or two um, about this uh, this longtime Detroit lawmaker. Yeah, um, thanks, Tom. I, I, Alma was, um, uh, as um, your um, script said, uh, a trailblazer and just uh, a phenomenal uh, woman. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew her well. I served with uh, her uh, youngest son, uh, Tommy, uh, and, uh, it, you know, it, folks say sometimes it was the family business, and uh, <laughs> surely they, they all followed in their footsteps, but that she um, she was just an absolutely uh, great person, and, and just, uh, I'll say this, that just the occasion that I had to reach out to her, uh, particularly uh, when she was in the legislature and I was in local government here and um, often would go to Lansing to meet with our local uh, leaders, uh, political and legislative leaders there, but also would reach out to those in Detroit that I knew, and she was one of those. And always received me and always uh, was willing to help uh, in any way that I would ask. So hate to um, hear about uh, her um, passing, but she uh, she made a great difference in the legislature and in the city of Detroit, state of Michigan. And Tom, I remember who this woman was, and politics doesn't set me off from her. It's what she does with the time, how she behaves and what she represents. And I thought that while she served in the legislature, and I remember the boys too, but I was not within the circles of influence, but I appreciate people who make a difference. And I do remember uh, she had a lot to do with the Public Service Commission, which at that time I was interested in serving on. Thank you. Great comment. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. <laughs> Paul, did you want to mention anything or add say, anything? It's worth t taking, taking note of those folks who made such a great difference in, in Michigan and in the legislature here. At, uh, it's, it's a remarkable family. Well, I... I I try to make a point of recognizing uh, those people that have rolled up their sleeves and tried to make a difference, and uh, they they are worth being remembered. Anyway, as we move on, um, Fashioned After Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke, we open armchair politics each week with Finish the Quote. And here it is, and I'll ask you how you would finish this quote. It is enough that the people know there was an election. The people who cast the votes, what? How would you finish that quote? Uh, deserve, uh, mm. deserve the best results, something like that? I'm not sure. Well, here's here's the... Uh, go ahead. I, I hear somebody trying to jump in. Uh, that's okay. I, I, I'll pass. Um Here's here's the original quote. It is enough that the people know there was an election. The people who cast the votes decide nothing. The people who count the votes decide ah. everything. Ah, Joseph Stalin. It, it was indeed Joseph Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that was a shocker. <laughs> And and you know I don't know I don't know why that one appealed to me this week I, I guess just because of all the 
the talk about the post office and the validity of mail-in voting and, and all of that. I thought maybe it was worth bringing that back up again. Here's the quote of the week. In much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That is a lie. America is not a racist country. Oh, jeez. Uh, um, uh, Haley Berry? I, <laughs> no, no. Uh, um, maybe it, Nikki, it Haley. Just, Nikki Haley. I think. Yeah, it was. No, I, uh, I know I heard oh, it within okay. the last couple of days. For, <laughs> former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, from her speech on uh, night one of the 2020 Republican National Convention. Um, do you think she really believes that? No. You, you have to be, you guys, you have to be the recipients of this kind of behavior. If you've never been the recipient, you can't value how people feel about it. And um, and we we're, we we were uh, extremely racist, but we have moved miles and miles away from what it was like. We are a better nation today than we've ever been. Let me ask kind of a parallel question: Do you think Nikki's kind of positioning herself to to take a shot at the uh, at, at the presidency in the future? I mean, I, I mean, I know she's had her differences with Trump, but she stayed fairly loyal, somewhat loyal. But you right. she's trying to position herself for the for the future. I I I think you're uh, you're on point, uh, Paul. That um, certainly she isn't going to say anything to uh, arouse in a negative way the Trump base. And so, but but just to this whole point about whether or not America is a racist country, I think that what happens with with whites in particular, and Nikki Haley, even though she isn't white, she you know, she's in a different category. She called right. herself a brown girl growing up. I don't think she described herself as a brown girl until uh, that became fashionable. <laughs> but but, yeah. but, but um, I, I think what ends up happening, when folks hear the word racist country, and, and, I, and I appreciate Henry's point just a moment ago, is that they take that, whites take that as a personal indictment. And it's not a personal indictment. It, it, is, it is a system. And that's so, it, it, you know, uh, I've heard someone say that um, Donald Trump didn't create racism in this country. Racism created Donald Trump. And so that, that's, that's the whole point, that, that uh, folks become standard bearers and they become messengers for the system. But that's not everyone. That's, that's, not, that's not every... So when people take it as a um, as, as a personal insult, they really don't understand uh, the the history of what's happened in this country as it relates to race and people of color. And I think the bottom line is that I mean, race and racism has been the, the a consistent theme of one kind or another throughout all of American history. From yeah, sixteen twenty on forward. Yeah, and and yeah. one of the things that we always confuse. Donald Trump and racism, there's no relation. Donald Trump, when he entered the, the whole uh, public discussion of the matter, he exposed what the American system was like. Without Donald Trump, we would have never seen what real racism is like and how the people in the United States didn't know that they were that bad. 
and uh, this is why so much there's so much change without legislation. By the way, guys, how how is Washington that? Washington had nothing to do with it. Henry, Pardon? Henry, yeah. how is that not like uh, uh, poking a bee's nest to find out how many bees are in it? <laughs> well, um, no, I guys, I don't see the difference. We would have never seen how bad we were. I don't know. Uh, uh, to, to pick up on Henry's point, do you, do you think, Henry, that as a result of, of, of Trump and all the things he has said and done, that that was in effect an ironic cause for the Black Lives Movement and whatever they might produce in the years to come? Well, I think that, uh, that that's unfortunate. Black Lives Matter right now. And, and, you know, I, and I'd like to say this. Um, it's unfortunate that so many of them feel privileged now, that they can do anything they want to do. And, and that's what's hurting us here. And then there are other people who are not black who help them, enable them, abet them. And, uh, and blacks take the, the brunt of the, the blow. Like, for example, they're the ones that are getting killed. Other people don't get killed. Mm-hmm. But they do. They're targeted. Yeah. Yeah. This this That's is uh, this is parenthetical to our our discussion, but I, I will make the comment that 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 particular quote was a very small part of uh, Nikki Haley's speech, but yet that's the soundbite that yeah, uh, yeah. is making the rounds. I, I and yeah. I find that very interesting. Um, it was a very um, don't, don't don't go ahead. Don't you think that that a significant theme for that first night? was a response to this pervasive conversation about race. And the Republican Party is, is carrying that big weight on his back because they've not been on the right side of that discussion. And so you needed, well, the right messengers, side? Like, but, you, you, you needed messengers like uh, the senator and Nikki Haley they were the principal messengers, but that was a central theme of that first night was to respond to, because they, they know this, you're not going to convince a lot of folks to vote for, for Trump on who, who are on the Democratic side or even in the middle at this point. But you may be able to get some folks who say, well, you know what, uh, I'm going to stay at home. I'm right. not going. So you repress the vote um, as opposed to converting mm-hmm. a significant number of folks from the other side or well, in the middle. We have a, a break coming up here in just a minute, guys, But and I'm going to just squeeze in a quick comment. We can pick it up there when we return. But when she, uh, Nikki Haley made that comment, I couldn't help thinking that there are a lot of white people, myself included, that were a little bit, I don't know, embarrassed, um, horrified to discover that if you're not anti-racist, you're racist. You know, that's interesting, isn't it? And I thought about some of those people and how they might be hearing that, saying, yeah, that's what I've been trying yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. we can, we can yeah. pick this up when we come back. We're... Uh, just getting started with Armchair Politics with uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley. We'll let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Fabulous 60s, the marches, the pins, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel. Who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War. All for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jefferson Airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you'll also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70K. Tom Sumner. 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, uh, as we continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Adder, joined by Woodrow Stanley. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about Nikki Haley's uh, speech last night, or uh, the opening night of the uh, National Republican Convention this week, and Paul had said something about suspecting that the tone of her speech was maybe setting the stage for a future presidential run, and we've seen that before, where people have made uh, keynote addresses and, and other speeches at the conventions, and and later went on to, to springboard off of that into a presidential run. Certainly, uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama come to mind. Um, but does this convention have the same kind of oomph that past conventions have had? You mean because it's uh, it's virtual? Yeah, because because of the virtual yeah. nature of it, um, you know, no no crowd in the in the audience, no cheers, no banners yeah. waving, and all that. Um, does it have the same lift? But you know, here's what I see: um, the people who are delivering the messages are delivering them with concentration, great creative thinking, a focus. And people are focused. The audience is focusing in on what they're saying. And yeah, I, with crowds I, in the background and hoopla and band waving and cheering and all of that stuff, you kind of lose a little bit of the drift. But um, just to hear, no matter whether it's a black speaker or, a, um, or any other kind of a speaker, people are listening to what they're saying. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with Henry. I, I, for as someone who's watching it on obviously on television, I think you do pay more attention to the substance than the cheering crowd. And the cheering crowds are fun, one both to watch and to be there. But I think in terms of the speeches, at least for those who are watching, you probably pay more attention to the substance because it can get drowned out by the balloons and the banners and the cheering and everything else when you have a traditional kind of convention. I I I I, uh, I agree with those observations. I, I put it in, in sort of this context that there are, uh, I know Henry has been to multiple con- conventions, as have I, and Paul, I, um, I know you've probably been to some as well. Um, but remember, so there are multiple conventions going on. It's just not one convention. So there's, there's a TV production, and there's always been, in modern times, there's always been the TV production. And as TV has, has been uh, more fine-tuned, it has become more of an influence shaper of, of, um, of the convention. So that's one piece. Then there's the behind-the-scene deal-making convention. So there's another convention that's going on yeah. that no one ever sees except the deal-makers. And then you have the delegate social scene uh, going on. So it, it, 
in, in terms of Tom, your your question of whether or not this change, probably the most significant change, and, and someone mentioned this, is, is you know of course the social part of the the um, and and of course without having all of the delegates on the scene, the deal making is different because folks they can't go to a suite or a room uh, somewhere, you know, where folks are convened and there's discussions that are going on. It's, it's virtual, so you have phone calls and Zoom and, and that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, that, that part is different. But there's always been multiple conventions going on. One of the things that I miss is um, the camera panning the, the crowded convention hall and having my eyes sort of peeled for... Who has uh, broken off into little groups in the corners? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I miss watching for those things. But um, Mark Everson, a uh, former White House staffer who was on the show earlier this morning and a Republican, um, said something I found really interesting. He said he finds himself watching the convention more closely than he has previous conventions on television. I think that's true. Do you, do I you, think it's true also. Is is that going to change how the convention impacts uh, John Q. Public? These these events have, uh, except for the TV piece that, that Woodrow talked about, have typically been kind of inside baseball and not had a, a real direct correlation to the average voter. Well, if I if I could say this, you're always going to have people breaking off in little caucuses and talking about behind each other's back and making deals and stuff like that. That's part of the process. There's nothing wrong with it. It's be, yeah. and uh, it's, it's it moves stuff and it brings yeah. stuff together. So I I have no problem with that, <laughs> and I think that uh, the public. Uh, uh, understand it, and they they deal with it. And although uh, little deals like that don't change the outcome of the convention, because well, you know, before the television, to, before the television age, that was the purpose of conventions. The old smoke-filled rooms really right. did decide right. the nominees. Right. Who's bringing the cigars? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up with that cigar smoke around. And not, not you, you know the the other. Not, I was just going to say the other thing is the the economic impact of conventions. Now that that's a pretty significant thing for most no. communities that host conventions. Milwaukee, I, I I can't remember the the economic impact, the the uh, forecasted economic Im- impact for Charlotte and for Milwaukee. But um, I mean, uh, Charlotte gets a little piece of it, but Milwaukee basically walked away with. Almost zero. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Well, and maybe, and then, maybe a net probably was a net loss because there's so much preparation that had to be done, and that's sort of, you know, that's a sunken investment that can't be, um, um, you know, received back. And you know, I believe that uh, <clears throat> the former mayor will understand this at a convention. Even the most least, the least likely person to have the capacity to break, pull someone off to the side, we'll try that. <laughs> and try, <laughs> at least likely, just to look important. 
to be Fair somebody enough. in the crowd. Right. And uh, so all of these things are not true to form. <laughs> well, we'll get back to talking about the convention a little later. Um, but I want to I want to squeeze in one more quote before we bring things a little closer to home. And and here is the quote: "I'm not going to be bullied into making that decision. I'm going oh, to follow yeah. the science." Yeah, that's Governor Whitmer. Yes, indeed. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is still determining whether the state can safely allow still closed businesses like gyms and theaters to reopen, she said at a press conference yesterday. Um, Are the governor's pandemic policies too strict? I'd I'd rather have them too strict than have them... Uh, too loosey-goosey. Uh, too yeah. strict means that sh- the, the option to loosen it up is there. You know, loosey-goosey, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that that one has as much correction room. So I, I'd rather have it too, too strict. But I, I, see the, I see this as that problem, though, uh, Mayor. I see this problem. What she needs to do is let go of that restraint that she has on government. She makes all the decisions. She needs to turn over some of that to trusted friends, the uh, trusted people on the other side. Open it up so they can have discussion about strategies, and that will last longer. It will be more effective. Uh, you know, you know Henry, I was going to say. are all about. Henry, I was going to say, just as a, as a brief uh, participant, I, I don't remember... Um, Snyder and the crew being, I mean, for the purposes of of the camera, but for real purposes, I don't remember, you know, there being any real genuine efforts to say, hey, guys, won't we have a co-leadership kind of government here? I don't remember that. Now, you you know, you may remember it differently as a member of the party, but I don't know. Now, remember, I I didn't criticize the governor. I didn't criticize the governor. (laughs) I said, we ought to do to solve the problem. Reduce that tension between the two. Solve the problem. You're not I'm sure bucket. she would love to. Yeah. Gotta have, gotta and have there's a way to do it. And I support uh, the government in trying to solve the, the problem. Side, the, other side, uh, my friend, uh, the other side, my friend, has to be willing to uh, participate, you know. But the, the other side has to be positive. Uh, the governor has to be positive, just like she did with the funding for schools. The Republicans sure. jumped in, and they really got things done, and they were satisfied. But with uh, the virus here, uh, we, I, we I need to give that point. back to uh, give them some of the authority back to the, the, the legislature. Let them jump in there. I was going to bring this up a a little later, but uh, the Michigan Court of Appeals on Friday upheld a lower court ruling that said Governor Whitmer has not exceeded her emergency powers under the Emergency Powers of Governor Act during the coronavirus pandemic. But Judge Jonathan Tuchel dissented on key parts of the ruling, writing that the governor cannot leave Michigan in a state of emergency for more than 28 days without legislative approval. Yes, that's the problem. She did. And, and, you know, when she did this for education and for other uh, actions that she would take, they were very effective. Things moved through the process very smoothly. 
no backbiting, no antagonisms of any kind. And things were solved. Does having the does having the legal authority to impose pandemic policy protect her from paying a high cost in political capital? Oh, probably uh, not. No, no, that, that no. could be an issue. No. What, you, you know, having served both as a legislator and as, as an executive, I think most folks in the executive, there is one exception, but most folks in the executive position, whether it's president, governor, mayor, want to get uh, the buy-in from your co-equal of uh, being the legislative branch of government. Now, that, the, the one exception is, is of course, you know, um, you all know who. Uh, so uh, there's no <laughs> doubt that, that, that uh, Gov- Governor Whitmer wants the buy-in of the legislature. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, there, there, there's no but But that, that has to be both willing to dance and she's the executive. You don't give away the executive powers. I mean, you, you negotiate, uh, but, but uh, you know, there's no such thing as a co-executive. You've had co-speakers yeah. in the mm-hmm. legislature, but you don't have co- co-executives. No, no, no way of doing that whatsoever. Yeah. I, and I'm not in argument with that at all, Stan. But the, the mm-hmm. thing is, that there's a judicious way to do it. There have been great leaders who turn such confrontations into victories. Mm-hmm. You know, having said that, though, I think it's, it's wiser to err on the side of caution, and I think that's what she's done, you know, in terms yeah. of the, the actual decisions. And then, you know, and again, it's not perfect. There, there's You can pick away at the details here or there, but all in all, the if you're going to err, Air on the side of caution, and Michigan has has done relatively well in in response to that. And I'm not criticizing the governor either, but what I'm saying that she needs to relax a little bit, stop back, take a step back, and think about: Do I solve the problem? I am the chief executive, and I cannot abrogate any of my part, but my authority to Republicans. But I'll think about what they say, and listen to them. I'll try to negotiate. That's what's missing about the COVID. Everything else is seems to be moving. Mm-hmm. Well, for several weeks, some city council members have suggested giving Flint clerk Inez Brown additional help in preparation for the general election after delays in counting absentee ballots in the August primary election, making the results from Genesee County among the last in the state to be reported. Last week, Doreen uh, Fulcher, election supervisor for the county, wrote to Brown detailing what she called failures and deficiencies in the city's handling of absentee ballots, including not having enough election inspectors on duty and not completing advance work that would have saved hours in the counting process. Uh, Speaking at the city council Monday, uh, Brown said... um, she would request more money from the city to carry out the job if necessary and promise to ensure everything is taken care of properly without addressing the letter uh, specifically brown who has served as city clerk for 23 years said she's 
recruiting more workers, designating absentee ballot drop-off points throughout the city, holding community meetings with senior citizens and others to make the absentee voting process clear, and providing additional training by her office staff and the Michigan Department of Secretary of State. Why does it always seem to be Flint that has issues with conducting elections? <laughs> it's... Uh... They kind of they don't know how to count the chads. <laughs> yeah, we don't have chads, do we? Tom, I, I I didn't want to so much comment on the the um, personnel part of it in terms of needing more personnel because I I have no doubt that there is a need for additional personnel and, and so that that sort of um, a moot point, but but here, here's a point that I do. Uh, when I first heard about this, why would a supervisor from John Gleason's office send a letter to the head election official in Flint, a supervisor who was several rungs down from Inez Brown? is sending a correspondence to Mrs. Brown. Shouldn't that correspondence have come from the top uh, election official in the county? Right, yeah. It, it's, it is disrespectful. That's an interesting point, Wood, and one that slipped that, by me. I'm an, glad you brought that up. More than interesting, it's factual. It's, it, it is disrespectful. Yeah, but both of those uh, jurisdictions are different no, and no independent. But, no, but Henry, no, but is punching is punch. She has to punch down to someone that's not her equal. I know if, that's what I'm saying, if, and if, those if, are independent jurisdictions. Yes, they should compute it, from equal. the top. Yeah, and one thing that strikes me is that when push comes to shove, I mean, I think all the votes were counted in Flint by what Wednesday afternoon, which was. Again, a little later, but for the first time we've done this was widespread mail-in voting. It's not like we had to wait forever for it, and it wasn't. In fact, I think by midnight they had three-quarters of votes counted. Then there was a long pause, and I think by 2 or 3 in the afternoon, 100% were counted in the county. So, I mean, again, there may have been glitches there, but when I say bottom line, it wasn't like it was a terrifically follow-up election, I don't think. No, that, I, think Wood, I think Wood's point is... Uh, one that's important to underscore because yeah. um, as this as this was reported in M Live, uh, Doreen Fulcher was um, identified as elections supervisor for the county, which implies that somehow she oversees all of the elections in the municipalities around the around the county yeah. and so on. But Wood makes a good point. She's a staffer in the clerk's office, and any kind of communication like that should have come clerk to clerk. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. my point. That's yeah. my point. And it's a and good and it's a good one. And and it's I missed point. it because of uh, the way M Live reported this. You know, referring to her as well, the well, election the supervisor for the county. I've had a few folks ask me about it, so I, you know, I was sort of armed for that question. That came up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I invite you, Wood, because you've always got lots of ammunition. <laughs> well, so folks ask me, and, and I, it just, I agree with them. I mean, why would, I, I'm telling you, that if um, during my tenure as uh, the chief executive of the city, if I had gotten 
a letter from a supervisor um, from the mayor's office, uh, you know, raising some issues. Well, anyway, I'm not going to tell you what I would have said. Uh, guys <laughs> and, and Tom, I believe uh, that we don't really understand the issue between the clerk's office uh, of uh, the county and the clerk's office of the, the city of Flint. And in most cases, they would, if you want to solve the problem, you have to conduct a study, an investigation of what went wrong. Why are we, and what went wrong, if we don't find out what the problem is, we're likely to have it three months from now. Well, and this will go on. Yeah, we need to have a study, an independent study, not by politicians necessarily, but by people who don't care about what the outcome is. That's how General Motors solved this problem. And it works well in business. It works well wherever there are studies. Yeah. Get rid There's of probably politics. been a lot of friction between the city clerk and the county clerk for, for some time. There yeah. you go. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. I, I didn't want to say it, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, sir. But... But uh, would you knew that I knew knew that too, didn't you? I knew, but you didn't say okay. it. I wanted you. To I didn't say have it. to. Yeah. Well, Paula did. Yeah. Well, uh, the 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 point is, why do you think I asked for a study? Everybody I, doesn't know that. You don't need that. a study. You need. Okay. You don't need a study. You need respect. John Gleason. Oh. John Gleason simply the, the the woman reports to John Gleason, awesome. She doesn't report report to the board. Clerk to clerk communication. And I think and I'm, it's I'm gonna leave that, but Paul, you, you, you hit the, there's a there's a lot of crap that's out there between Gleason right. throwing shade at the uh, city clerk. So yeah, I, anyway, I'll leave and that. And I know that. that and I've been on both for years. Yeah. I it's nothing new. Makes it even worse when you think of the possibility that uh, John Gleason instructed this supervisor to send that letter. Uh, uh, mm, mm. But but I think the answer the answer, as Henry said, is to do a study. Yeah, I think so. And one thing I wanted to yeah, mention: I agree with that. I agree we with that. we cannot continue to live this way. Uh, we can't move economically politically, racially, anyway, with that kind of frustration going on between these two offices. One thing I wanted to mention, and, and somewhat of a hat tip to uh, Michigan's Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, there were places Flint was not the only uh, city or township in Michigan that had some staffing issues the day of the election. Uh, because of COVID, uh, you know, some of the, the poll workers yeah. are elderly and called in, said they weren't going to make it out of fear, you know, of the, yeah. of the pandemic. And um, Jocelyn Benson had set up a back bench and was sending relief people in, in some of these areas. And, uh, and, and kudos for her. Uh, or to her, rather, for anticipating that and, and trying to yeah. accommodate it. And I think we're going to yeah. see a lot of that in November. Yeah, I mean, again, cause considering this was the first time we had a really big election like this, uh, 
we you know we did much better than Wisconsin did, I think, in terms of our, our yeah. Michigan wide. So yeah, but don't yeah, we always? There were glitches, <laughs> but the, but all in all, not so bad. <coughs> On that note, <coughs> excuse me, I better take a short break, and uh, we'll be back with more armchair politics straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the... America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. 
Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman Sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman Orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman Study Sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman Sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name is This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, moving on, we have uh, a day after the announcement of the $600 million water crisis settlement, activists, church leaders, and members of the city's former governmental administration held a press conference to demand more for the city, for the citizens of Flint. The press conference took place on uh, Friday in the parking lot of the Christ Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church where many speakers expressed their disappointment about the settlement and the state of the city. Flint City Councilman Eric Mays said the settlement is a great first start, but wants to see more money for kids and adults. Do you think Eric Mays is right? Is this a first step? Well, from his perspective, it's going to be a first step. But we will ask for money until we drain the Treasury. So that's not likely to be the end. If they can make the case for it, that's what they'll do. But I think the reality is this may be more of a last step. I mean, for, <laughs> not that I agree with it, but I, I'm afraid that's the truth about it, I suspect. Okay. I hope so. I, 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 um, I think that, and I don't think that, you know, Eric is the leader of this. This is about every citizen in the city of Flint. Um, The first thing we have to remember that the real cost of this uh, man-made disaster has not been calculated and and will never probably be accurately calculated. So $600 million is a drop in the bucket. Um, and, And I don't believe that you ever give up. Because particularly if you're in an elective office, I think you continue to push. Because yeah. I can tell you this, that when it go, leaves the front page, it leaves the mind of the average person, and it certain, certainly leaves mm-hmm. the mind of those who uh, control the purse strings. Well, so I think the word... I don't think you give up. I think the word settlement, settlement sort of uh, helps make Paul's case. Um, however, not all of the cases have been settled. Two engineering companies accused of wrongdoing in the Flint water crisis say they will continue to defend themselves in lawsuits brought by residents and won't settle cases like the state of Michigan did this week for $600 million. Representatives of Veolian North America and Lockwood Andrews and Newman said in a separate uh, or said rather in separate statements to M Live that the water crisis that produced high levels of lead and bacteria in city water in 2014 and 15 is the fault of government agencies, not the advice they provided to the city about various water problems. Should that defense be contingent on what their advice was 
Sure. Mm. I, I mean, you know, that's the purpose of uh, of uh, having, you know, the legal minds on the city side making that point. Exactly, Tom. That's the, that gets right to the, the heart of it. If, if they have responsibility in terms of advising the city and so forth, then they have to bear the brunt of... Uh, of a part of that uh, that settlement. Yeah, but you know, there are a couple of things that uh, yet elude me, and, and uh, the reason I'm unsettled with the outcome here is that first of all, there was data change. Anytime you change data, you have created God. Right. You have created right. uh, issues that even God will disdain. To pick up on Henry's point, the criminal charges are potentially at least still out there. We're still waiting about what's going to happen with those, but there, there, there are still those possibilities. Yeah, but I and think I have, think uh, Wood have hired the certified people to run the plant, people who know what they're doing, not secondhand people or penny people or affirmative action people, but people who understand the science. Affirmative action people. That's what I said. <laughs> what, what affirmative action people? I mean, you. you now, what, what are you talking about? We, we'll what talk about this later people? because this is a thing between no, you. No, and no, 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 Andrew. That's, that is, that is uh, absolutely. Don't be honest. Okay. What, affirmative action people. You know what you're saying? That's, that's not Yes, fair, I man. do. <laughs> I, I, I worked in the business. See, what are you talking about? Uh, because you've never worked in a technical area where people are. Uh, all people I, I are not. I supervised them, I hired them. Yeah. Well, you might have supervised them, but you're not science. I hired them. Okay. For a guy like you to say, I said it, and I'm sorry it's over. (laughs) Go to church and say it there. Who the hell are you talking to? I'm talking to Stanley. (laughs) No, you're not talking to me. Go ahead, Tom, please. Uh, Well, let me uh, me make a couple of points. One is, I, I, that, that, comment by Henry about affirmative action people, I can certainly understand how that could be um, considered offensive, but I also understand the nature of not hiring experts versus people that are just part of a hiring policy. And, and, and I understand that. And if that's what he meant, okay, fine, and we move on. But yeah. I also want to point out that I think um, in response to uh, Paul's comment about criminal charges i think i think wood had already kind of set that up when uh he said when it when it leaves the front page it it leaves hearts and minds and i i i'd be surprised if we see much in the way of criminal charges yeah that that's that's my feeling at the moment at least yeah well mayor sheldon neely on uh, Friday issued a reminder to residents to be cautious and to use only reliable sources for information on the Flint Water Settlement. Details of the agreement are still coming together so residents should be especially wary of those who may try to monetize the situation. The best place for accurate information on the $600 million settlement announced Thursday by the state of Michigan is FlintSettlementFacts.org. That's FlintSettlementFacts.org. Nearly 80% of the $600 million settlement is set aside for minor children impacted by the Flint water crisis. 
The settlement also sets aside money for adult victims as well as property damage, business relief, and programmatic needs. Mayor Neely also continued to call on other defendants in the lawsuit to settle the claims against them, which will increase the final settlement amount beyond the uh, initial $600 million state settlement. How important is it to set settlement money aside to address future claims resulting from water crisis? And, and I'm thinking about future cognitive issues from children that have been affected and so on. Mm. Picking an amount that, that, would, that would serve that is hard to imagine because who knows 10 years from now what the effects might be. Right. Well, kids, uh, we've always been uh, subject to lead. That's uh, an old thing. You probably have so much lead in your feet you can't lift it. <laughs> Just due to the amount of water that uh, has contained lead over the many, many years. Well, but the state has put a dollar amount on it. They've said, we'll give you $600 right. million, and 80% of that is set aside for minor children impacted by the water crisis. My earlier point was that the actual cost of this man-made disaster has not been determined. It certainly is $600 million. And um, those young people who will grow into adults at some point, um, you know, they will have to live out their lives. And, you know, I'm not going to say in a cavalier fashion that they have X amount of lead already in their system. All I know is this is a man-made uh, disaster and that uh, the cost of it will be these folks who will grow into adults and, and they have to live with it. And I don't know what that cost is. Well, this is all speculation, Wood. Um, we, we know that lead lies in the fatty tissue of the body. And the way that you can... Uh, discharge that is by eating the right kind of food. And many people, and I think the Hispanic community does a good job in using techniques that are, that are good for that, and they teach it to their congregations. And we need to do the same thing with the people in the city of Flint. We need to educate them on how to take care of themselves. And probably kids have eaten a lot of lead, uh, from the, the, the paint that's been in the walls for years and years and years, and uh, the paint from cars uh, that were discharged and laid along uh, walkways and driveways and stuff like that. So the lead was always a great potential, and we are overestimating its impact. Well, Dr. Hannah Atisha was a big proponent of... Um introducing healthy diets for mm -hmm. minors affected by the crisis because there are foods that do mitigate to some degree um, lead contamination mm -hmm. in the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's some place where some of that $600 million should go. Um, but we have another break coming up. In fact, it's uh, top of the hour ID, and then we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics. And uh, when we do, we're going to talk about some things going on in Lansing, and we'll talk some more about the National Convention and uh, take a look at a couple of other national headlines that we might not have seen while watching the convention. Um, 
In any event, uh, we have our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki standing by, and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter standing by. And Thank they, you, sir. And we are all joined and happy to be so by uh, Flint's uh, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. Thanks, guys. We'll be back in uh, just, a, uh, just a minute or two for Armchair Politics, Part 2. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.